Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. Hello and welcome to an all-new installment of Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network, live from the Jim Plunkett Studios in the heart of the business district in Severn. Look, I'm dressed for business. If you're watching this on video, you can see that. I've got the tie on. I've got the whole thing. Uh, on the bucolic western shore of Maryland, I am your host, Greg Klein, flying solo this week. Brian Griffiths is on assignment. I don't know. I assume he's in the country, but who knows with him. Uh, we've got a great show on tap for you tonight. A lot to go. A lot that's controversial a lot of of appointments that the governor is making you would think june would be kind of a slow news month and in some respects it is but there's some very interesting things going on uh and we're going to talk about it first up in this segment i want to talk about the fallout from the umms scandal the university of maryland medical center uh, system medical system excuse me scandal that's been going on new appointments to that board by the governor new leadership of that board and five takeaways that start to give if you if you weren't convinced how broad and deep the the corruption at the university of maryland medical system was uh, i'll share with you a, an article in the baltimore sun from luke broadwater talking about that so that's our first segment we'll take a break we'll come back and the Kerwin commission is talking about uh yeah by the way how are we going to fund all this and they appointed a uh working group if you will brian talked about this a little bit uh last week he has a piece that I'll, that if you haven't read i encourage you to to, to uh, read i'll share a little bit with you here um the fix is in again as brian wrote that you've got people you've got a deck stacked towards huge tax increases to massively expand state government that's what Kerwin's all about. We'll talk about that. And then a little later, we'll have a weed update. Haven't had one of those in a while. The medical marijuana regime, which has been such a boondoggle in the state because there's, again, shocker, and maybe you'll sense a theme here, so much corruption and insider one-party politics involved in it that it just can't seem to, to move forward. And guess what? It still can. I'll share that with you a little bit later on. All that tonight here on an all-new edition of Red Maryland Radio. All right, let's start with um, the UMMS scandal. Governor Hogan, this is from the Baltimore Sun, Governor Hogan names 11 new members to the University of Maryland Medical Center board plagued by contracting scandal. This is from our friend Pam Wood at the Baltimore Sun. Maryland Governor Hogan named Wednesday, this is last week, actually just yesterday, <laughs> Greg can read a date. It's great. Uh, yesterday, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan uh, named his initial batch of new appointees to the troubled board of directors at the University of Maryland Medical System, the first step toward reorganizing the board following a scandal over board members having lucrative contracts with the 13 hospital system. Stick a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. Uh, I'll share with you an article from, from another Sun article that kind of shows the scope of this. It's pretty crazy. The volunteer board came under fire in March when the Baltimore Sun, after the Baltimore Brew had, had broken the story, the Baltimore Sun reported that a third of its 30 members, a third of its 30, why not just say 10? I don't know. I don't write for the Baltimore Sun anymore. 
A third of the 30 members or their companies had deals with the hospital system, some of which were not competitively bid. Um, again, stick a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. They included, of course, then-Mayor Catherine Pugh of Baltimore, a Democrat who made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling children's books and a sole source arrangement with UMMS. And by the way, there are articles about how a lot of these books are now showing up in trash bags at book donation centers around the city. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. The mayor, of course, later resigned from the board and as mayor amid multiple investigations into the book deals. In separate action Wednesday, the, the hospital board elected new leadership from among its current members and invited four members who voluntarily took leaves of absence to return. The new appointments of the board are required under a state law legislators passed this year that mandated several reforms at the hospital system. All previously appointed board members must step down by the end of the year to be replaced or reappointed by the governor. All new board members are subject to confirmation votes by the state Senate, but can, but can serve until the Senate votes on their appointments. They, they will take office officially on July 1. Uh, board members can serve up to two five-year terms. In the past, board members often stayed past the end of their terms if a governor didn't replace them. And their lucrative, self-serving contracts hadn't played out, I guess. Here's a quote now from Governor Hogan. I pledge that I would appoint new board members who will serve with integrity and accountability. And today I am delivering on that promise, Governor Hogan, a Republican, said in a statement. This is another critical step as UMMS, the University of Maryland Medical System, works to restore public trust. Now, the, the new leadership that they appointed, they elected Chip DePaula, who was the former, um, former uh, budget chairman under Governor Ehrlich, as chairman of the UMMS, and uh, his honor, former judge, federal judge Alexander Williams as vice chairman. Both of them had already been members of the board. They're sitting members of the board. Um, judge Williams has been on for a couple years. Chip DePaul has been on, I think, since 2016. You can see that here. Um, judge Williams is also, yes, if, you, if that name sounds familiar to you, yes, he's also one of the chairs of the governor's um, redistricting committee as well. So obviously the governor puts a lot of stock and faith into the integrity of former Judge uh, Alexander Williams Jr. So th this is going on. Now, there's a list of people who, and we've got a link at redmaryland.com. You can read the whole list. But you can see the people the governor has put on here, and they're, you know, they, they're pretty wide-ranging. None of them are elected officials. This is kind of important. Uh, and, I, you know, you have uh, Eliza Basnight, who is uh, with the Red Cross, who formerly served as chief of staff for the U.S. Mint under the Obama administration and other federal agencies. You've got Kathleen Baran, who used to be with the Maryland Insurance Administration, uh, Dr. Saitola, health officer for Queen Anne's County. A big deal on the, on the Eastern Shore, by the way. They're really excited about this because UMMS has not always well served the Eastern Shore. So this is something that's exciting. Uh, the governor um, appointed his chief of staff, Matthew Clark, uh, to the seat that the governor's designee is supposed to sit on that's reserved for the governor. So that's, that's him keeping a close eye on things. Uh, Wanda Draper, the former director of the Reginald F. Lewis Muse Museum of African American History and Culture. Uh, former judge of Court of Appeals Judge Glenn Harrell, uh, which is really interesting. A great judge. I was just at a conference with him uh, last week. And another guy of integrity. I mean, these these are people, and you can read the whole list here. I'm not going to read the whole list for you. But these are folks who aren't in elected office. 
So they, you know, they're not state senators that so, that UMMS is trying to buy their votes to to approve funding. They're not people that are in that that own businesses that have direct contact or would have contracts with uh, UMS. Doesn't appear to be the case anyway. Um, so the new rules that are going to restrict that shouldn't be a problem. You've got people who have a variety of backgrounds in business and the healthcare field, and it seems like a really good group. And and you appoint guys like Judge Harrell, uh, Justice Harrell, um, who is a guy who is you know very well respected and and certainly is is known for his integrity. This is these are great appointments. So this is a chance for the governor to turn things around, and hopefully this board will improve because. One of the things that we found, and I'll bring this up to you now, we're starting to get some ideas of just how bad things were uh, at the um, <laughs> at UMMS. This is this is an article uh, from today from Luke Broadwater. Five takeaways from the University of Maryland Medical System review of self-dealing practice. They they have it in quotes, self-dealing. You can't see air quotes on the radio if you're listening on the podcast self-dealing practices they're not quote self-dealing they were actually self-dealing here's what luke broadwater a review of contracts of the university of maryland medical system has had okay here we, let's try it again had contracts that ummas had with a third of its members of its board of directors or their again why not just say 10 of the 30 members it'd be easier to read but that's fine uh, revealed more no-bid and self-dealing practices at the hospital network. The system commissioned and paid for the 41-page report from Nigrin Consulting in response to revelations published by the Baltimore Sun after the Baltimore Brew broke the story, starting in March, about the network's practices that enrich board members, including former Democratic Mayor Kathleen Pugh of Baltimore. By the way, well, it's great that, that the Sun broke the story and we wish they would do more reporting like this. The fact that they keep mentioning that they broke the story, <laughs> keep trying to take credit for it, even though places like the Baltimore Brew, which is a which is a news website in the city of Baltimore, were reporting a lot of these things. Um, they kind of broke it open, the Sun did, certainly, but but this, this information was kind of out there. Uh, it's obvious that the Baltimore Sun is trying to campaign for Pulitzer. Um or you know some type of award uh, as you know this is going to be their campaign this year because it's going to you know if you ever saw the last season of the wire they talked about how they wanted some some sort of series of stories that resulted in government changes this is perfect i mean this is perfect fodder for a pulitzer prize um which is why they keep bringing it up it is a big scandal and it is good they reported maybe they deserve a prize but it makes you wonder why aren't they doing this all the time anyway I, I I digress, because here's what's important. Since the scandal broke, of course, Mayor Pugh has resigned as mayor, and UMMS CEO Robert Chernick and four other top officials have stepped down. Also, the Democratic-controlled General Assembly passed emergency legislation this spring to reform the board, and Governor Hogan signed it into law. For its report, Nigren reviewed system documents and interviewed about 60 people, including current and former board members, executives and its staff now here's their key findings number one blaming the old boss chernick was blamed the guy who's resigned for cutting deals with individual board members without the full board's approval in four cases the board was not properly informed of the deals so they're blaming the guy who's not there anymore that's classic by the way that's classic maryland politics 
The report said UMS management appeared, quote, to have taken upon themselves the authority, uh, their own authority, the right to enter into contracts with board members that resulted in personal gain to the director. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty damning. Okay. Now, point number two. Most deals with board members weren't competitively bid. Seven of nine of the... Excuse me. Seven or nine of the deals with individual board members were entered into without competitive bids. The board was insufficiently informed and, for the most part, had no specific advanced knowledge that would have caused the board to consider alternatives that would have forestalled or eliminated perceived and real self-dealing, the report said. We had no idea. They didn't have competitive bids. I mean, they had terrible processes in place. They were doing stuff outside of, the, uh, outside of board approval and... It, it seems to me that members of the board, since a third of them were getting these kind of payoffs, the rest of the board obviously was looking the other way. And now they're trying to point fingers at everybody else. It was, well, it was the former chairman's fault. He was acting without our knowledge. Or, you know, they, well, they didn't competitively bid, so we didn't know how bad it was. Which brings us to point number three. Who's doing oversight? The board member who was in charge of monitoring financial dealings himself had a no-bid deal. They... <laughs> They, they basically bought off the guy who's in charge of, of compliance here, right? Robert Pevenstein, who was chairman of both the audit and finance committees, maybe you don't have the same guy in charge of both of those. Just an idea. Had several arrangements with the system, including for-profit relationships for the firm's profit recovery partners in Optime, as well as a consulting deal. Oh, God, that's a great way to rip people off, consulting. He, sorry to all of you who work as consultants, but it's a great racket, I'm telling you. He was paid more than $100,000 a year. Most board members stated they had little awareness of Mr. Pevenstein's uh, multiple financial arrangements, either directly with UMMS or with entities that did business with... Again, oh, we had no idea that the guy that was in charge of auditing these financial arrangements himself was getting kickbacks and payoffs. We had no idea. We were just, we were in the dark. Staff felt uncomfortable. This is point number four. In at least two instances, UMMS employees felt pressured to promote the use of software from companies that benefited individual board members financially. Staff on whom the pressure was reportedly exerted felt they could not reject using the products, even though they questioned appropriateness of the director's influence and the merits of the business transaction. I mean, it really makes the... the, the most of the members of this board really were stooges. I mean, either people were getting paid off or they were looking the other way or they were all stooges. I mean, I don't, frankly, a lot, anybody who's still on this board should be, should be resigning because what was going on, they either were in on it or they should have known about it. And they, you know, they put the, it sounds like they put the fox in charge of the hen house here and they're surprised that what happened happened. I mean, it's a disgrace. It's beyond a disgrace. Um, now, here's interesting point number five, UMMC rate increase bull. As the report was released, the system's flagship hospital, University of Maryland Medical Center, dropped plans to seek more revenue from patients. It submitted a request in January to state regulators that would have generated about $75 million from patients who sought services at the downtown hospital and only 5% boost in revenue. So now that they've gotten burned and they've lost the juice they used to have by paying off all these elected officials, including former state senator Catherine Pugh, uh, now they're now their chance to get the state to approve, you know, higher rates. They're, they're dropping that now. 
I guess I guess that's good. I don't. I, it's just crazy. But it all points out how again this whole episode is a classic example of the inherent corruption we have in Maryland of having a one-party system. Uh, so many of these boards and and uh, things that are appointed where you have these incestuous relationships, where you have very little accountability that goes on, uh, where you have you know people who are connected to elected officials, former elected officials, former Democratic administrations, where there's where there's not an effort on the part of the legislature to to do oversight into these huge institutions that make enormous amounts of money and are ostensibly being regulated and um, given tremendous oversight by various state executive and legislative uh, agencies and committees, nobody's really keeping an eye on things. Even the members of this committee, most of them were either on the take or didn't know what was going on, or so they say. Um, and I hope the people that the governor has appointed will help turn that around, and I hope Chip DePaulo and, and uh, Judge Williams will help turn that around. Um, but And there are new rules that are going into place or whatever, but the only reason this was ever allowed to happen is because of one party rule in the state. Because we don't have a political system that mandates the kind of accountability and the competitive accountability that prevents this kind of stuff from taking root. And that's a real, that's a real problem. That's a demonstration of this. And we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and I'm going to show you... And another, you know, this is healthcare. That's obviously a place the state spends a lot of money. That inherent um, corruption, because of one party predominant rule, is existing in another major part of where we spend most of our state money, and that's in education. When we come back, I'll show you how the Democrats are putting the fix in there and setting things up to help their cronies. Maybe not so blatantly illegal as, you know, these kind of sweetheart deals and 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 kickbacks on you know um, books that nobody reads or something like that but still big time payoffs from elected officials and people in power to maintain their power to people who are interested in and interest groups in order to maintain that hold with your tax dollars that's what we're going to talk about when we come back you're listening to red maryland radio here on the red maryland network we'll be right back you were invited to the 2019 Montgomery County Republican Party Lincoln Day Dinner, featuring guest speaker Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford. This dinner takes place on Monday, June 17th at the Doubletree Hotel, 8120 Wisconsin Avenue in Bethesda. Sponsorship opportunities are available. For tickets and more information, visit mcgop.com and click on 2019 LDD. Authority Montgomery County Republican Central Committee, Don Irvine Treasurer. You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio, Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to RedMarylandConference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. 
That's RedMarylandConference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland Patreon, go to patreon.com slash redmaryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash redmaryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash redmaryland. And thank you for your support. Back here on Red Maryland Radio, here on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Greg Klein, flying solo this week. Brian Griffiths on assignment. If you if you like it when we're together, last couple weeks you haven't had it. But some of you, I know, deep down, because I've heard from you, you like it when it's just me. And that, and you're getting that in, in a heavy dose today. By the way, our bumper music there was uh, New L.A. Guns from the album The Devil You Know That Is Going High. We'll play some more new great rock music later on in the show but right now unfortunately i've got kind of the same old story we talked in the first break about how one party rule and inherent corruption is creating problems uh in the state with the umms scandal that's going and breaking and still going on well we're setting up for another debacle that's a direct result of one party rule and that is Kerwin. We've been talking about Kerwin for years here. We've been seeing this coming down the road. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, we're talking about the Kerwin Commission, the hand-picked commission that is designed to come up with the next generation of school uh, policy, education policy here in Maryland. Part of what they're doing is adjusting funding formulas on how state dispenses its um it's it's monies between localities. Uh, by the way, if you listen to our friends over at the uh, um, the Conduit Street podcast, they have a really detailed, wonky explanation of that debate and what that's all about. If you want to understand that a little better and what the challenges are for smaller counties or and counties that have high income taxes but but low property taxes and vice versa, um, that's one piece of it. I, I by the way, I encourage you to go because they can explain it better than I can. If you're interested in having and, and listening to that explanation. But one of the things those guys will never discuss, and something we've been talking about on this show, and I know many of you are very concerned about, and that the governor has been pointing out, is the fact that the main thrust of the Kerwin Commission is to have new education uh, initiatives, policies, most of which are going to dramatically increase the amount that the uh, state of Maryland and its localities spend on K-12 through education uh, going forward. In fact, the cost of fully implementing the Kerwin recommendations that we got last year 
is something on the order of $4 billion a year of new operating spending on K-12 education. To put that in perspective, uh, the state of Maryland spends about $7 billion a year right now on K-12 education, which every year that Governor Hogan's been in office is a record amount. We're spending more in real dollars than we've ever spent on K-12 education in the history of the state. We spend far more per student than many other states in the country do. Okay, We spend an enormous amount of money, but yet the Democrats, through this Kerwin Commission, because we want to have the greatest schools ever, we want to have 21st century schools, um, they want to increase this budget by something like 40%. And they've gotten through this blueprint idea uh, last year, and we've talked about that ad nauseum here. Uh, they, they've gotten the camel nose under the tent that Kerwin is a good idea, that what Kerwin wants to do is a good idea. And a lot of the bullet points that are so expensive with Kerwin are huge uh, pay increases for teachers. That's a literal payoff to the teachers' unions. Um, an expansion of public education, namely mandatory pre-K all-day uh, education, which dramatically expands the time period that children in this state are going to be within government-run schools. So you have to have more schools, more teachers, more everything that goes along with that, which rap massively increases the uh, public education bureaucracy. That's a payoff to the unions as well. Okay. Uh, you've got other... Uh, you've got a number of other things that cost enormous amounts of money. Those are the biggest drivers, the, the bullet points that I just mentioned. And the, the argument that Democrats are making is that if we don't spend 40% more per year on K-12 education, then we're underfunding education in the state. Now, again, the guys on the, our friends on the Conduit Street podcast are not going to get anywhere near that discussion. They're going to assume Kerwin's good and they want as much money because that's who they are. That's what they represent. That's not meant as a criticism. I'm, you know, if, if you want to listen to how them break down how, you know, the funding formulas work and some of that. It's really fascinating. If you want to hear a discussion about whether we even need to spend this much more money, which, by the way, the governor rightly points out, we don't have a spending problem with education in this state, um, this is the show you got to listen to because the other ones aren't going to talk about it. Uh, the folks in Annapolis assume that we just have to go forward with this. The problem is, how do we pay for this? How do we, how do we pay for... 40% more spending every year in a budget that's already balanced, in a budget that is already uh, got, because of mandated spending, built-in uh, um, uh, deficits going forward, this structural deficit. How can you add $4 billion more spending on top of that just for K-12 education? Well, the only way you can do it uh, is higher taxes. Now, you can shunt some of that to the localities, and we've got folks here in Anne Arundel County. We've got a new county executive and, and, and a majority Democratic council that's ready to jack up taxes in a major way in anticipation of, of Kerwin. You're seeing the same thing in Baltimore County and Howard County. We've talked about that before. But you're still going to have to come up with enormous amounts of, of new revenue because you've got to have a balanced budget because the economy is not growing fast enough to support this kind of of new spending, you're not going to be able to cut it from any place else, especially with the, the enormous demands of mandated spending 
that the legislature has put forward, the only way that Democrats are going to say, and this is the trap, this is the trap that they're setting up, that the box they're trying to put the governor into, as well as to say, we have to do this, we can't cut anywhere else, you, you can't do anything other than raise taxes. So, to that end, and by the way, they haven't figured out what taxes they're going to raise yet because they wanted to sign the, the contract on buying the new Ferrari before they figured out how they were going to pay for it. They knew it was going to be expensive. They knew we didn't have the money to pay for it. So, that brings us to, that. that's all by way of background to bring you to the work group for state funding formulas has been named. This is the group that's supposed to get together to decide how we're going to finally fund this. This was not something that the original Kerwin Commission as a whole was tasked or felt obligated to figure out as part of their recommendations. They just had a wish list of everything we could do for education, regardless of the cost. And now that everybody seems to think that's such a great idea and there's some, you know, this blueprint for Kerwin's been passed, and everybody accepts the premise that we have to do everything Kerwin says we have to do. We have to, you know, we have to implement all of their recommendations. Now we got to figure out how to pay for it, and we know it's expensive, but we just got to figure out how. Which taxes are we going to raise? So this is an article from uh, the Baltimore Sun Junior, alliterative, dark money funded Maryland matters, uh, from Danielle Gaines. She writes a core group of thirteen people will meet over the next several months to recommend new state funding formulas for the K-12 through public schools. Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Adrienne Jones announced the 13-member Blueprint for Maryland's Future Funding Formula Workgroup. <laughs> it's a 13-member um, Massive Tax Increase Determination Workgroup is what it is. The panel will be tasked with making, with, uh, making finding formula making funding formula recommendations before the 2020 legislative session, including one on the split between state and local education funding, I talked about that a while ago, prioritizing the order of funding for recommendations of the Kerwin Commission, and recommendations for specific funding formulas. Now, see, here's the problem. This is intentionally confusing by the uh, Baltimore Sun Jr. alliterative Maryland Matters dark money funded website. See, when they talk about funding formulas, they're trying to conflate that with the idea of how the state figures out which county gets how much money. Those are formulas that have to be figured out as part of this process as well. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about funding formulas are new taxes, are ways to come up with new revenue to pay for all of this new spending. See, that's intentionally confusing. And this work group, for instance, uh, Senator Mary Beth Carosa has been recently appointed by the governor to the Kerwin Commission. Part of the group that she's working with is going to determine how state education money is distributed amongst the individual localities and the, and the, and the counties. Okay? That has nothing to do with what this work group is doing, which she is not a part of. For instance, this group, the funding formulas, can't see air quotes on the radio, the funding formulas are what taxes are we going to increase in order to do this. So there's not going to be a lot of debate about um, whether we actually increase taxes, whether we fund any of this, whether any of it is a priority worth funding or not. That, that ship has sailed. 
And if you and if you don't believe me, look at the folks who've been appointed to the work group. There are two Republican members. Harford County Executive Barry Glassman and Budget Secretary David Brinkley. Okay. Who Governor Hogan appointed. That's two out of thirteen. You want to hear who the eleven the other eleven are? And Brian Brian Griffiths wrote a great piece of the fixes in again at redmaryland.com. I encourage you to check that out and read it. But look at who they are. Joan Carter Conway, who is, you know, former state senator who chaired the Senate Education, Health, and Environmental Affairs Committee, far left progressive, okay, the former chief of staff to Governor Martin O'Malley, the, the assistant executive director of the Teachers Union, Rich Madalino, who hates Governor Hogan and wants to have as much, you know, was, it, was a close ally of uh, Ben Jealous, so you know where he's going. Um, Alvin Thornton, the chairman of the Prince George's County Board of Ed, Maggie McIntosh and Bill Ferguson, okay, who are on the Senate and House Appropriations and Budget and Taxation Committees, guess which way they're going to go? Eloise Foster, uh, former budget secretary, oh, I wonder under what administration? Hmm, Maryland Matters left that out. Baltimore Sun Jr., alliterative, dark money funded, Maryland Matters left out. Which administration she was a former budget secretary for? Was it Governor Hogan? No. Was it Governor Ehrlich? No. Hmm, must have been a Democrat, right? Yeah, well, no, no need to appoint that. You get the idea. So you essentially have got 11 members um, who are hardcore left-wing, raise taxes as much as possible, and then you've got David Brinkley, who's the governor's budget secretary, who is, you know, at, in this group, of, a, you know, a, a budget hawk conservative. And you've got Hartford County Executive Barry Glassman, who, you know, let's be honest, he has some gubernatorial aspirations. Um, and, uh, you know, is he, is he going to be the one guy who's going to turn all these guys around to something more reasonable? I'm sure he'll be advocating for... Uh, the state taking up more of the slack. He doesn't want to have to raise taxes that much more in his county. So what's going to be the result of this? Well, I mean, you, I can already tell you what the result of this group is going to be just by looking at the makeup of the group. They're going to recommend that the state massively increase the state's um, state taxes. I'm sure they'll recommend legalizing and, and taxing uh, recreational marijuana. That won't be enough. I'm sure they'll recommend um, legalizing and taxing uh, gambling. Uh, you know, that's not going to be enough. We've already seen we've already seen that in other places. It's not going to be enough to do this. the The revenue projections aren't going to be as rosy as they're put out to be. That's not going to be enough to fund you know, $4 billion a year in new state spending. So what's gonna, there's going to be an income tax increase in part, as part of this, undoubtedly. Okay? The governor's been trying to reduce uh, state income taxes, particularly after Washington's actions, where Marylanders ended up paying more in state income tax. Uh, as a result, the governor wanted to fix that. The Democrats pushed back because they want to spend more money. I'm not sure that all of those things will still be enough. Not to mention that those kinds of, especially income tax increases, and I'm sure they'll be on the on the top 10% or the top 1% or whatever they always say they're going to be. They're going to have a negative effect on private uh, private job growth and private economic growth. 
which is going to be counterproductive here. There's no pro-growth tax increase. I mean, I don't think there is such a thing as that to begin with. But certainly, that's not going to happen coming out of this group. Likely, it's still not going to be enough, and you're still going to have either you know, more being shunted to the county so that there's more pressure on counties to raise property and sales, I'm sorry, property and uh, income taxes, most of them already doing it in anticipation of this. You're going to have to have a broader income tax increase in Maryland, which already has some of the highest state income taxes in the country. And inevitably, you're going to have, you're going to have to have Something, some kind of regressive tax increase beyond that, whether it's a sales tax increase or something else. Now, the governor and other folks have calculated how much this is going to take, and it's mind-boggling. And he's been out in front saying he's going to be opposed to this. But this is, this is absolutely, if you want to talk about legacy, if you want to talk about where the governor's um, next four years, he's not running for president, that's out of it. We didn't really think he ever was going to. But if you want to know what's going to define his time as governor, it's going to be whether he can hold the line on taxes for the entire eight years that he's in office, whether he can balance the budget without increasing taxes and actually having some sort of tax fee and toll relief beyond what he's already done. That's going to be an enormous challenge because it means one of the things it absolutely is going to mean is that we're not going to have full implementation of Kerwin by the end of the governor's term in office. That's just not possible. Those numbers literally do not add up. Will the Democrats pass massive tax increases over the governor's veto? Something like that has never happened. I don't know that even Democrats would be willing to do that. That that seems like political suicide, especially when the governor is going to have such control of the, the redistricting process. But we'll see. I mean... The argument is going to be made that if we don't do these painful tax increases, we're underfunding education. But the numbers don't show that at all. The, the problem is you've made fully funding education this arbitrary number that requires enormous increases in spending, which are unsustainable. So anyway, we'll continue to follow this. But the fix is in with this group. I mean, there's no question, if you look at the people who make up this work group, I, I mean, I could tell you what the report's going to be. You can guess what the report's going to be. I mean, what do you think Rich Madalino and Maggie McIntosh and Bill Ferguson are going to come up with? Are they going to say, well, let's delay implementation to let, you know, to let private sector economic growth increase enough that we don't have to raise tax? No, they're not going to do that. They're going to say, let's fund it all right now. Let's, you know, burden the counties with a, as much as we can, you know, politically get away with. And then let's jack up taxes. This is exactly what happened under the O'Malley administration. This is exactly what would have happened if Ben Jealous had been elected. But with Governor Hogan in there now, it's it's much more difficult. Can he block it? Will he block it? That's what that's what time will tell. The good news is the governor's absolutely opposed to raising taxes to do this and is way out in front of recognizing the difficulties here. So we'll keep an eye on this. Let's take another break. We'll come back and uh, we'll do a little, little weed update. Haven't done that in a while. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio 
here on the Red Maryland Network. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland Patreon, go to patreon.com slash redmaryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash redmaryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash redmaryland. And thank you for your support. Well, because they got great banter. They jib jab. Jib jab, jib jab, jib jab. I use them for the car. Because my stereo is busted. You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers, including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio, Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to redmarylandconference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. That's redmarylandconference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. All right, all right, all right. You were invited to the 2019 Montgomery County Republican Party Lincoln Day Dinner, featuring guest speaker Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford. This dinner takes place on Monday, June 17th at the Doubletree Hotel, 8120 Wisconsin Avenue in Bethesda. Sponsorship opportunities are available. For tickets and more information, visit mcgop.com and click on 2019 LDD. Authority Montgomery County Republican Central Committee, Don Irvine Treasurer. Welcome back to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. I'm your host, Greg Klein, flying solo tonight. Brian Griffiths on assignment. I played the Afro Man because I got high. A reminder of the perils of marijuana use. They call it dough for a reason, folks. And I bring that up because we've not uh, had an update recently on the marijuana policy in the state of Maryland. Uh, We have in Maryland 
a medical marijuana regime that we passed years and years ago that has taken years to implement. It has been in fits and starts. It has failed miserably, not because of finding ways to get medicinal marijuana to those who may benefit from it, but because it's a lot of money involved and legislators and people associated with legislators, as it turns out, uh, current and former legislators, as it turns out, uh, kind of wanted their piece of the pie. And in the name of diversity, wanted to make sure that the pie was distributed um, equitably, if you will. And the interest of making sure that we had a system that was able to service people who may benefit from the medicinal effects of marijuana, which, let's put that, that's to the side. We've passed it, it exists, let's not argue about that. Those folks aren't getting helped. That's not the priority. The priority is making sure that the people who make money off of it, uh, that the right people are getting paid off. It is Maryland, after all. You know, from UMMS, making sure that, you know, insiders got paid so that they could grease the wheels to get more revenue past state regulators, you know, more revenue hikes from state legislators, to uh, the teachers' unions spending lots of money to elect people who are going to pass huge spending increases to pay off their members, literally, with your tax money. This is Maryland politics at its finest. It's, it's the payoffs that are important, not good public policy outcomes. You say, Greg, that's a very cynical view. That's not true. So I bring you to the Baltimore Sun once again. Doug Donovan in an article from June 10th. Medical, Maryland medical cannabis regulators extend application period as errors. Mar process aimed at diversification. A series of technical snags has forced the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission to give companies 14 more days to apply for one of the state's 14 new growing and processing licenses state regulators announced Monday. The commission had received more than 160 applications by the previous May 24 deadline from firms seeking to score a license in a second round of awards aimed at increasing the participation of minority and women-owned businesses. The state is issuing four new cannabis growing licenses and 10 new licenses for processing the plant into medical products. Companies now will have until June 24th to submit new applications following a series of technical issues that presented obstacles to a significant number of those attempting to submit applications electronically by the May 24th deadline, the commission announced Monday. In addition to problems with the online submission portal, the extension was also driven by widespread errors, can't see air quotes on the radio, uh, applicants committed in their forms by not redacting the names associated with their companies. To guarantee fairness and impartiality in the competition, <laughs> the commission required applicants to hide the names of businesses, owners, investors, employees, and any contractors. Across both the grower and processor license categories, the vast majority of applicants failed to redact all identifying applicant and business name information, the commission announced Monday. They were, they were too forthcoming, you see. Applicants must now hand-deliver their package of forms, not including several previously required attachments where many redaction errors occurred, on USB drives directly to the Commission's Linthicum office by 5 p.m. 
June 24th. The unexpected issues are disappointing, but we are pleased with a significant interest and large number of applications, said Brian Lopez, the chairman of the commission, in a statement. More than two years ago, the commission faced significant criticism and lawsuits for how it picked the first 15 companies to grow cannabis. The state's legislative black caucus was outraged that companies owned by African-Americans did not win any of the preliminary growing licenses and their constituents weren't getting their cut of the pie. That's what that was about. A state-commissioned disparity study. Can't make this stuff up, folks. Confirmed that minorities and women had been shut out of the industry. An analysis that provided the legal support needed to implement race and gender-based measures to remediate discrimination. Wow, that is an Orwellian uh, phrase if I've ever heard it in my life. Well, with that study completed, the General Assembly passed legislation in 2018 to expand the marijuana growing operations to try to give minorities an ownership role. (laughs) So... The original Muldoons that got that were laid in the cut on the original. Uh, see, when they legalized medical marijuana, what they could have done is just said, hey, anybody who wants to grow it will regulate the company and you can have a competitive marketplace and it can only be prescribed under certain conditions and we'll regulate any growers. No, no, that's not what we do here in Maryland. We created a monopoly run by the government through which you have to you have to apply and get a golden ticket to produce or process and then sell this stuff. And the government and the state takes a cut all the way down. And guess what? Firms that had associations with, oh, I don't know, let's just pull out of the air Senate President Mike Miller. They got uh, those golden tickets in the first go-around. Suddenly people started asking questions. And suddenly people started to realize, well, you know, these aren't. There's not enough minority representation. When members of the uh, Black Legislative Caucus started realizing that members, that constituents, perhaps even donors, uh, weren't getting approved applications, they fought it. They they wanted to put. They put. Were threatening to put the whole thing on hold. Meanwhile, sick people were held hostage to this back and forth that everybody get in their pie because the government has taken over the drug rackets, at least as regard to medical marijuana. And, and they're running a state-run monopoly where legislators and, and people who know them and are in their circle of influence now can help their friends out to get these very these, – I mean, it's a license to print money is what it is. And, and that's why, you know, the Legislative Black Caucus wanted to make sure that their constituents were getting a cut. And you had people on, you know, in western Maryland, on the eastern shore wanted to make sure – that their constituents were getting in on the cut. I mean, you had Republicans involved in this too. We've talked about this for years. It's it's just obvious what's going on here. It has nothing to do with helping sick people. It has nothing to do with the professed benefits of uh, medical marijuana. It has everything to do with money and the state running a monopoly and wanting to make sure that legislators who have an influence on who gets those golden tickets, that their donors and friends and family are laid in the cut. That's what this is about. So they, instead of changing who got a piece of the pie, they just grew the pie a little bit. That was the compromise. So we'll issue more. And so in order to be fair, you had to disclose everybody associated with it. Well, we don't really want that to be public. 
because God forbid people might start putting the you know they might start my connecting the dots here. So fill out the forms, do that so we can say there's transparency, but bring it to us by hand on a on a thumb drive. So no one ever really is able to figure out what's going on. It's not really public, but we can say that there's transparency in the process. Now, if you legalize marijuana for recreational purposes the way that they want to, it's this regime, this monopoly, and you just start adding zeros to it. That's what's going to happen because the state's going to uh, issue licenses a limited number of licenses to growers and processors and distributors and retailers uh, in the state if we do it the way that, you know, and the state gets is laid in, they get off the top. I mean, it's just it's just the state taking over the drug rackets is what's going to happen. And what and I've talked about this so many times in the past, that's what's going on with the medical marijuana regime. And to my libertarian friends, is this what you guys thought? legalizing marijuana look like or legalizing medical marijuana should look like it's crony cap it's drug legalization on paper that's really just crony capitalism funding bigger and bigger state government that's all it is and fueling once more a theme on tonight's show more corruption in state politics because if you can't get rich as a state senator uh, by being on the board of UMMS, maybe you can get some buddy of yours or some relation or some business associate. Uh, you can maybe make sure they get one of these licenses to grow or process marijuana because there's a lot of money in that marijuana and the state controls it. Imagine how much in campaign donations or, you know, book sales you could, you could get with this stuff. You wonder why there's corruption, folks, in this state? It's, it's, it's exactly this kind of thing. Now, if you just legalize something and you, you regulate it and everybody who wants to grow marijuana has to abide by the regulations, but you have an open marketplace and the same with distribution and the same with whatever sales, then you can do, then you can do that. And then nobody has to you know, have this backdoor political payoff type stuff. But that's not what we have, and that's not what we're going to have. And this is the point I keep trying to make to people. And articles like this and what's going on with the medical marijuana regime is the canary in the coal mine that ought to be warning you, especially your libertarian friends who think legalizing marijuana is so great. It's not going to be a straight legalization. It's going to be corruption fueled by drug money. It's going to be uh, crony capitalism funding massive increases in state spending like the Kerwin commission which we're going to be dependent on then that legislators and their friends and their relatives or whatever who get these golden tickets with many more zeros on it if it's recreational instead of just medical i mean you see what i'm saying here this is what it's going to mean we're not going to be legalizing marijuana we're going to be enabling enormous corruption in this state if you legalize marijuana the way that the democrats want to do it that's why the democrats are all for it so they've created with Kerwin a need for more revenue you got to do it you got to do it your concerns about whether legalizing marijuana is good public policy or not your concerns about the corruption that you got to forget that because we need the money for the kids what about the kids 
Meanwhile, when you legalize it, it won't be enough money. You still have to raise taxes. But now you've got higher marijuana use. You've got corrupt people who are able to get these because of their influence with legislators and regulators, which we're already seeing in this uh, medical marijuana regime. It's going to be payoffs and campaign contributions and corruption all the way down the line, fueled by tens of millions of dollars in drug money. All to fund bigger state government, which is unsustainable, which is going to require higher taxes now and in the future to fully fund as well. I mean, all of this is just a nightmare. And none of it is a good idea. And, you know, articles like this, when it all happens and it all goes south, you can say, well, I've been listening to Greg Klein on Red Maryland Radio for years, so I knew this was coming. It was no surprise to me. End of sermon. All right. Thank you. For, folks, let's wrap up the show now. Um, I, I want to thank everybody for listening. Hopefully this turned out okay technically, recording this in advance. I dressed up. You got to give me that, right? If you're watching it on video, hopefully the video turned out okay. Uh, we're, still, we're trying. We're trying. Help us out. We've been we've been mentioning that we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash redmaryland. We could use better equipment, more equipment, people who know how to use them. But I don't know. We could use your help. Patreon, just a buck a month. That's all we ask. You listen, you support your friends of ours, right? Buck a month. That's all we ask. Patreon.com slash redmaryland. By the way, if you haven't gotten your tickets to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, Got a great lineup of speakers already. More to be announced. Buy your tickets now. A lot of you have. Thank you. We'd love to get this thing sold out as early as possible. We'd love to to get past the number that we had last year as soon as possible. We're getting there. Thank you to all of you who supported. Those of you who are trying to wait till the last minute, I know it's in January. It's going to be on you before you know it. Just saying. Just saying. All right. Folks, love to get your feedback. Anything we've talked about on the show, anything you think we ought to talk about, a lot of ways you can get in touch with us, redmaryland at gmail.com, good old-fashioned electronic mail, great way to get a hold of us. Um, You can always hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash redmaryland. You can always hit us on Twitter, at redmaryland, on all social medias. You You can check us out on that as well. Love to hear from you. Uh, there and of course if you want to and and by the way I, I i need to address something because some people are a little confused we say the more negative the better we mean that but i think some people think that if we get negative feedback that we're supposed to gleefully accept that no we love the, the negative feedback but we're also going to push back on it okay especially when it's when it's really stupid as unfortunately it sometimes is. But don't let that stop you. Leave us a voicemail on our talkback line, 410-205-4875. The number again, 410-205-4875. We would love to hear from you. We do mean it sincerely, Scott Schaefer, when we say the more negative, the better. And uh, that doesn't mean that we're going to let you off the hook if you, if you give us dumb comments. But we love you giving us dumb comments. See, that's the key. We just love the feedback. And if we didn't have negative feedback, sometimes we'd have no feedback at all. That's just the internet. 
Uh, we've got a lot of great shows here on the Red Maryland Network. I hope you check them out. Red Maryland Radio comes to you every Thursday. Brian and I will be back next week for an all-new installment. We'll have um, our poll results. If you haven't voted in the Red Maryland June 2019 poll, please do so. Just go to redmaryland.com, look for our June 2019 poll. Lots of good stuff on there. Love having you participate in that. Uh, Brian comes at you with, I don't know, I like to say he strafes you with news and opinion on the air raid. I don't know if that's a fair characterization, but, you know, he likes to, you know, blurt out at you things. And some people like it. Let's be honest. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, Some people prefer Brian's bombastic style, his his, uh, wrestling-infused style of presentation. I guarantee he won't do the next one in a in a coat and tie. But you never know. It's the air raid every Sunday. All of our great Red Maryland programming is available uh, wherever you get podcasts. So if it's iTunes, the podcast app on the iPhone, uh, Google Play Store, Stitcher, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, we're all there. You can subscribe. Don't cost nothing. Absolutely free. Uh, if you do that, please do uh, give us a rating, leave a review. That helps us spread the word about Red Maryland for more great Red Maryland programming. People find out about it. We appreciate that. So with that, let me bid you a fond adieu. Uh, Brian Griffiths back next week with me. I am Greg Klein. Thanks for listening. And I will leave you now. Hang in there. We'll get there, by the way. I will leave you now with new music. I promise you I would. New music from Tesla, the band Tesla. They have a great new album out called Shock. This song is called Taste Like. Enjoy it. Hang in there, folks. We will get there. Mm-hmm.